welcome to the podcast of Urban Mystic. This is part four of a series that we've been doing on understanding personal mystical experience. And here we ask the question from the observer's point of view. You know, when when considering the question of certainty and reliability, it's often asked from within the context of a religious service or from the context of within a, uh, a religious system or a belief system where people want to check out the who and the what that you're hearing from and the who and what you're experiencing really matches what they really believe or what they've really established as being their truth or their ultimate reality with a capital R. And so the question of certainty and reliability really changes when we put the shoe on the other foot and when we look in and we ask the question, uh, from the perspective of the person walking in and going, what is going on here? Where is the reality of the transcendent? Where is the reality of God? Where is the reality of what we what we're experiencing? So, so you know, we, we we've been chatting about the questions of certainty and reliability, which is really just a fancy way of saying can we trust these experiences, these spiritual experiences? So, in the language of of spiritual being, speaks to human being. And there's a, there's a pass on or a knock on, pass on a message to another person or, or however it plays out, that, that we end up being in this tricky scenario where for the most part, in, in this context of, of deconstructing the vanilla of our society, of deconstructing Christianity, for the most part, if you go to a church, everything is via proxy. So if you talk to people about hearing from God, they, how do you hear from God? I read the Bible how do you hear from God? God opens and closes doors, <laughs> you know, which is how does God lead you? No, 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 it's, it's by roundabout mean. You know, it's how it works out at the end of the day is, is basically God must be doing it. As opposed to the stories that you read, you know, when Christians read the Bible, there's this clear sense of God speaking and acting. And, and that's largely, largely absent. And, and I've noticed in, in some ways that when people ask these questions about how do you know who you're listening to? And they, they refer back to the certainty that they get from going, I'm reading the Bible and I'm, I must know, there must be a clear way for me to know that whoever or whatever I'm hearing from is actually coming from this book. So, so it's got to basically match this book or it can't be God is, is what it comes down to. But I feel like, like in some ways, the way people think about that doesn't always account for the context or an important thing to consider when people are understanding is to actually consider the context that they're asking out of. And I think for the most part, when when people ask questions about whether you can or should trust this kind of stuff or whether you should build a personal practice around it or whatever you should do with it, people are asking from the context where this stuff isn't integrated. There's almost like uncertainty as, as the core of what they're putting forward and that uncertainty comes from being in a context where you don't regularly experience any of this kind of stuff and where it's not a normative part of your practice, either in your own individual life or in the context of the community that you're in. And I feel like that's an aspect that's not really spoken of. In the last session that we put out, which was, uh, which was a conversation you and know, I had a few weeks back, you'd spoken about the holy microphone, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and people needing to get beyond the holy microphone to tell people stuff that they could have really just kept to themselves because it's not for everyone and that. And so... So I was really thinking about that as the context and thinking about how churches struggle with this notion of whether and how to include experiences like this or not. Together with that, the, to consider that as a context, in general, Christianity doesn't have a practice of that, speaking in the royal general. 
one of the things that is often very uncomfortable is, is I feel like we're caught between two extremes. And on one extreme, you've got the complete charismaniac uh, context, the, the complete Pentecostal, charismatic, um, incoherent babbling, tongues thing that's out there, the, the people falling over and rolling around, like just the complete excess of madness on one hand. And whenever this language of pursuing relational experience comes up, I find that the knee-jerk reaction for many people is related to that kind of stuff, that they don't, they don't want to fall into the loony bin. And I 100% I agree with them. And then on the other hand, the other thing that comes up is that people basically go, but we've got our tradition, we've got our context, we've got our community, we've been doing things this way forever right? Uh, the proverbial forever, as in, you know, I came into the situation at some point and into ministry, and this is the way we do it. This is the way we talk to do it. And it's, it's orderly, and it's rational, and it's, it's controlled, and it's not emotional. We end up with those two extremes, and this language of personal experience kind of falls somewhere in between there, in the sense in which I'm often talking about it. I'm not talking about it in that public context because I feel like that's not always, it's not always a helpful box to put it into because you're actually dealing with these two very different cultures, these extremes of cultures. And although there are churches and church movements like um, like the Vineyard, I think is a good example. New Wine is a good example where they, they tackle this thing called ministry time. You know, so they have the normal preaching and worship uh, and then they tack on this thing at the end called ministry time for those that need and what they put it in that box. So the hearing from God thing really starts to fall into that box at the end of the day. It ends up not being a paradigmatic change that has taken place, that the whole community and the whole practice of doing church is reconstituted around this thing. What it ends up being is going, no, we, this is how we do church, but we also believe that God speaks and acts and we've got a box for it. And I think, I think in some ways when when talking about this this whole thing of experiencing God and how reliable it is and how we integrate it, we're, we're dealing with the clash of cultures and the clash of expectations. And so, so you've got some people that really want to preserve their, their tradition and they don't want to fall into the Lunibin thing or go the route of the renewalists who say, let's just add this stuff on because they go, well, we've got our way of doing this. That just doesn't fit into our order of service, you know, it's, this is not the done thing in our church, you know, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever it is. And so I feel like when, when people raise questions of certainty and reliability often, when they go, can, can, can we trust it? I feel like, like I'm often trying to read what situation people are speaking out of. So almost like, where do you speak from when you ask this question? And I feel like I've noticed that, that people seem to speak from many different places, but but when, when Christians raise this as a question, they're speaking from within the context that they're used to it. What they're used to is a particular way of worshiping and interacting and feeling like we hear from God through our context. But if we were to add this, this new thing in, this other thing, we can't trust it because it is actually a new thing. It is alien to our context. You know? And so if I think back of examples, I remember in, in the 90s when, when the good old vineyard movement was still 
hitting South Africa, getting established in that. I, I remember some of the renewal stuff, people were very excited about it. And I remember chatting to this Methodist person and there was a, a particular minister that came into that context and he was introducing this, this thing of experiencing God to them. And I remember chatting to someone who was one of the leaders in a, in a particularly big Methodist church that was just vehemently against us. He was basically going, this person's trying to turn us into another kind of church. You know, so we don't, we, we don't have a history of doing this kind of stuff. I mean, let's ignore Wesley. But we don't have a history of doing this kind of stuff. This is not the way we do it. And we're just going to stand against it. But I remember from that point onwards, realizing that I, I needed to think in terms of this. And then when I did a lot of the the um, the stuff that I did at Holistic Lifestyle Fair with developing spirituality, it was the same kind of thing, you know, where people felt like in their churches, they didn't have a practice of this, a practice of hearing from God and seeing God do stuff. And and so how can they trust that someone else having a practice like this and making that the bedrock of what they're doing? How can they trust that this is right, that this is safe? You know, how do they know that this is is biblical and right is really what it was coming down to? And and I was just wondering if if you've had if if you've had similar exposure to that kind of stuff and that kind of thinking and and how you felt about it and how you responded to it. I think in some ways that's very familiar what you're describing there. And uh, I'm certain I can think of a number of different examples of where I've come across that kind of thinking. So if I'm following you correctly, it's not just the actual, the actual term that, is, uh, that we're investigating here, but the term is actually quite loaded. Because when people say, how can we trust it? They're not just saying, how can we trust it? They're saying, I am in fact living in a certain way. And you're asking me to step outside of that box and embrace something unfamiliar, or my context is not used to this, or which I sometimes think is worse. What you're describing there is the the modular add-on. So the majority of my life and my context and my reality is built out of these things with which I'm very familiar, but I I kind of understand that at some point we should probably consider the idea that God might be a little bit more real, perhaps, <laughs> and, and, and might be active, etc. But uh, I remember I was at a church in Johannesburg, and ministry time, if you wanted ministry time, happened out of the main church building, down a corridor, past the toilets, up some stairs, and then into the little chapel that was, uh, <laughs> it was a little, it was almost next to the hall where people had tea. And it was, it was just so interesting for me that it was separated geographically, but that was very much in terms of the paradigm of the ministry of that church. Yes, we kind of feel that we should be doing this because, you know, it's a little bit difficult to sweep that under the carpet. It makes a big bump. But if you introduce that into a main service, the worship time where the majority of people gather, either people are incredibly unfamiliar, they're not going to know what to do with it, or they're going to call you heathens, or even worse, they're going to question whether you're really Anglicans. And I remember visiting that church within the last couple of years, and I, and I was doing something there, and I asked one of the priests there, you know, how did they feel about, and I used the language of the prophetic, you know, I was, I was going to be doing music in a service, and I said, are they open to, if I felt God say something, that I can just include that into the music? And they said, no, they, they really love the prophetic. They think it's a great idea, but they think the prophetic is kind of how you live out there and it's social justice, et cetera, which gets no argument from me on the one front, but on the other front, it's kind of peculiar. 
we it's as as we've been talking you know throughout this series of is this entire book that is, is apparently so important that speaks again and again of this being that relates personally to people but as soon as you try to practice that corporately it's just completely shut down and i find even one-on-one i mean i can i can tell many many times of either sitting with an individual or a group of individuals and trying to to broach that topic and say well I'm not even saying could we pray because even praying there is a very sort of anemic version of what what we might actually be referring to here it's just actually a, a almost a sort of a humanist construct it's a peer-to-peer interaction we just happen to sit in the same room and mumble some words with our eyes closed but there's no real intention or idea behind it that there might be actually something listening that might wish to respond or initiate or whatever it might be and so in a number of different places and ways i've come across that uh, and i think the whole biblical thing from a christian perspective is a is a useful thing to hide behind in terms of wanting to back everything up from a textbook and the community that i'm involved with at the moment is is a peculiar mix of almost it almost seems at times as though there's really a desire for individuals to to have these moments of interaction and even then to share them with the group. But even in that, at the end of that arc, if you push far enough, it will always come back into that we need to step back into the space of familiarity and certainty. And we need to just check what you're saying against our textbook as to whether we'll we'll allow it to be. Uh, broadcast in a service or whatever I, I think in some ways um the language of transactional dynamics helps me unpack this kind of stuff a little you know in the sense of uh, of, of transactional di- um, dynamics referring to the the people that are interacting and what are they do, doing during those interactions you know who's listening who's speaking and and who's taking turns to interact so you know in, in many conversations there's a there's a push and a and a pull in the sense that one person listens one person speaks and then and then they respond they interact and and most of our interactions are, are, are like that so, so perhaps a sporting analogy can work where you've got two people playing tennis the the interaction the dynamics when one person serves and then the other hits the ball back you know and they're participating and there's a there's a complex interplay between them but it's of of two people engaging each other and when I think of church services, um, and I feel like this helps me separate the crazy from the from the not so crazy, <laughs> is is I think I do think along these lines of of transactional participants. I feel like I've divided in my thinking between the people arriving to do church because they're going to church on one hand as one group, and then on another another hand you've got all the people that basically make things happen. You know the the people that serve the coffee, the people that lead the worship, the person that preaches, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's stuff from the from the stage side, and there's stuff facing the stage in in a sense. And so so those are the the two primary participants, if you if you think about it. And then somewhere in the background, we've got this this mysterious, mysterious God who, for all intents and purposes, is the silent participant and the unactive participant. But the 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 two that are active are of the people that gather and the people that make things happen. And so so I, I did this brief research project and I thought I could maybe just comment on that. But what I did is is, is I took a snapshot of 10 churches around me and, and I started from the foundation of going, 
if you want to know what something is about, just take a look at what they do and model it from there. So if I want to know what McDonald's is about, uh, I can I can actually work out their the business model as an end user, you know, in terms of what is my touch point, what's my what's my flow. And of course that kind of modeling is big in business. And and I, I figured it would be a useful thing just to to apply it to to church. And so so I, I broke I broke it down in, in different ways of basically going you've got worship, which is the activity of 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 of, of worship, be it it's a singing component, right? In in most churches. The the miscellaneous activities is all the stuff from welcoming people to marketing to reporting back to collecting tithes to baptizing people to you know your your having communion, uh, you know, praying for people, like prayers, all that kind of stuff fits into that miscellaneous category. The message is the primary activity in Protestant churches, which consists of someone standing there talking and preaching. <laughs> and then and then this the specific block which I which I, I, I use the, the vineyard model of ministry to define as being ministry time. And that's 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 the the shift in dynamics to expecting that that there's going to be a, a, a an engagement with God, that God is going to be present in person to speak and act, that God's going to be part of this. that And that's going to be clear in the sense that, not just in the sense of someone getting up and going, oh, I feel the following, or here's the verse that's meaningful to me, and I think God therefore is saying it to all of you. But it's, it's, it's that felt interaction where it's actually observable. You can go, there's a human being wanting to receive ministry, a human being that is wanting to minister and hear from God. And you can see that that there's a dynamic interplay between them and God taking place. So I use those as different blocks. And, and when I model it time-wise, not all churches include that last category. So for the most part, it would be worship, the miscellaneous, and the message, and that's it. And when you consider the amount of time and you average it out, I'd be interested to know what you thought of as the balance between those four primary categories would be. Like, how would you think that they would generally break down? As percentages. Yeah, as percentages. If you took worship, the miscellaneous, the message, and the ministry, and you figured, let's break them down, how much do you think that would come down to? <laughs> per, per Sunday. Uh, yeah, on, on an average Sunday. Yeah, if you just average it out. Yeah, yeah. I would think you're probably looking at, I reckon... 65, anywhere between 50 to 70% of a service is the message. The remaining, anywhere from 50 down to 30%, the majority of that will then be the music, and there will be a small component of that, which is welcome and intro and messages and you know feedback and that kind of stuff. And I would think you you might be you might be lucky on average if you're looking at say five percent in terms of this this ministry time component. And I put it that small if I have to average it across. You know, it might fluctuate a little bit Sunday to Sunday, but I highly doubt that ministry time average is ever more than ten percent. So interesting, love. <laughs> on on average, uh, on average, I'd say say you're not you're not far far off at all. So so curiously, <laughs> you you find that in some churches only the three components are are present and that in a very small minority of churches there's the ministry time in, included, right? And so so when you take it on an individual church by church basis and how much time and you know is given to everything, 
it's it, you know obviously it's it's going to vary because you can always find the exception you know and go oh my goodness this church gives 80 percent of their time to worship therefore all churches give 80 percent of their time to worship and nothing you say is relevant so there's always that or or like like one um church stats that are going in front of me with 21 percent of their time of doing church they spend doing ministry time and so in that sense they go well through this lens this is a big thing for all churches and so that's that's not that that's not a mistake i i i, I want to make um and just upfront acknowledge that there is that individual variance but i think for the most part the reason why people starting point when talking about spiritual experience and talking about personal mystical experience, the starting point as to why a lot of Christians start off with questions of doubting and that is directly tied to the fact that we don't actually have in the main events that they do a practice of this. And so when I averaged it out, 30% of the average church service this time is given to, to worship just over 20%, 21% is given to all the miscellaneous activities. 46% is given to the message and only 3% is given to, to ministry time. And if you actually put that into time, if I average the amount of time out between all of them, so if you take 10 churches, obviously, and one church gives you know X amount of time to ministry time and nine of them give nothing, that average drops down, right? So, so it's in this context that I've done those averages. But the average would then be of 26 minutes in worship, uh, 41 minutes in, in preaching, 19 minutes of, of predominantly marketing and tithing related stuff, um, th two minutes of ministry time. <laughs> and, so, and so with that as a, as a, as, as a breakdown, I feel like one of the reasons why people start with the sense of you cannot trust the person experience is that it actually is not a predominant feature in the practice of the faith. But just before you go further, can I interrupt you quickly? Because I, I want you to qualify something. Because when I, when I listen to those, to those numbers and percentages, et cetera, what would you say to people, because I think this is a common, common thing. What do you say to the person who says, no, 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 the worship is the ministry time. So actually, about a third of our gathering every single Sunday is ministry time. What, what do you say to that person in terms of how it's split up and these, these four, four paradigms that make up the, the actual meeting on a Sunday morning? that it's 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 a particular word that is used with a very different definition there right so 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 generally what they mean by by ministry time there is is it's our time of ministering to god so in that sense i go okay that's that's cool i'm happy to define it that way but how does god minister to you in this or is this all just ego stroking and ego tickling <laughs> You know, is is this the time for God to 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 arrive, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy, or possibly not, depending on how the worship goes? You know, the 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 ministry that you're lavishing on God, right? Is this is this the opportunity for God to arrive and for us to wash God's feet? Is that is that really what it's about? And so, so I feel like I feel like off off the top of my head, that's. That's that's one of the ways that I that I usually respond to it is is by is by questioning the the 
the tr relational transactions. And so there, if, if I brought it back to that language of, of relational transactions, I, I'd have to, I'd almost have to acknowledge that the, the active participant in worship is the person that's doing the worship and the team that's up on stage trying to get everyone to do the worship and you know doing doing their musical components as their service because that's their that's their ministry time right that's their service time and, and what is God doing during this God is the silent background participant recipient right and that's really what it comes down to and then I go okay that's that's that that's interesting but 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 tell me more about that when is God an active participant when is God expected to take the stage, you know, to use that as an, uh, to use that literal taking of the stage in the way that people do church. The band takes the stage to lead the worship. The, 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 whoever the speaker is takes the stage to do the preaching. That, that's why I find that this language of the three participants and who's being active and who's being receptive, like helps me understand that and, and, and almost break down uh, that kind of response from people because in the dynamics of what's taking place during, during worship, the worship team is, is, is doing stuff to the congregation. They're serving to the conversation. So, so the worship team gets up and they're like, they, they serve, they, they hit the ball, right? And the, and the congregation bats it back, not to them, but to God, right? <laughs> so so who's, who's, who's active? The two active groups is the people on stage and the people in the congregation. God is the passive one. During the speaker session, it's again the person that's on the stage is the active one, and the congregation is receptive. I, I don't know. God might be out for coffee at that point. God could be listening, because I'm sure God enjoys a good preaching too. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people say, we preach God's word back to Him, kind of thing. <laughs> um, if we take a look at the tithes and offering, what's happening? Yes, there's a stage component in usually in terms of of we're going to collect or you guys must give because this is part of the full counsel of God, blah, blah, blah. The congregation is actively giving and the person that's, the group that's actively receiving is the stage again. God doesn't put the money in God's pocket, right? <laughs> you know, um, you know, so, so, so there again, the, the, the relational transactions are human to human. And then if we step down to the marketing, the marketing is again, stage to congregation because you want the congregational buy-in again, the the lines of interaction between them god's not even in that picture in that sense because you know again background um when it comes to community activities exactly the same thing and when it comes to prayer it, it's often the person it, it's often stage led again or congregation led but if they are if they are if they're praying then then it's the same kind of thing the activity is directed to god you're serving to god but God's not necessarily batting back, at least not in that context. So, so in terms of all of those, if we're going to talk about any of those as being ministry, we've got to go who's ministering, and we've got to unpack that word and basically go, it's the religious word that Christians use for going, someone's doing stuff, someone's serving, someone's doing something for someone else, <laughs> right? And in all of these cases, yes, it, it might be the ministry time, but it's people doing stuff to God, but God is not expected as the active participant in that sense. Whereas the language of, of ministry time, certainly as, as punted by renewal movements like the Vineyard and New Wine and, and others, is a, is a dynamic participatory time where people are expected to actually hear from God, 
God is actually expected to do things like heal people, forgive them, release them of emotional pains, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, there's a revelatory element to that. There's a participatory element. You know, some people talk about a power element and stuff. Okay. And, and so in that sense, it, to me, it differs to the charismatic time where what does it look like there? Well, again, you've got someone doing their holy version of, of, of tongues or whatever, but like, where's God? <laughs> you know, okay, not, not the active participant. The, you know, the, it's the person on the stage, the person in the congregation making the noise. You, you can see them doing stuff, but again, they're the active participant. It's, you're not looking for the, the hidden invisible God's activity in that sense, right? So, so I, think, I, th I think in that sense, that's, that, that's part of how I respond to it and how I think of it is going, yes, it might be the ministry time, but it's not the ministry time of God. It's not Jesus continuing his ministry in person today or the or the spirit ministering to us, you know, the third person of the Trinity, right? <laughs> you know, or or God the Father present in in person in a revelatory way. Like that's that's not what's happening during worship. That's not what's happening during preaching. Yeah, and I'm 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 with you. It's just I've I've been faced with so many of those questions over the over the years. Um, because, you know, the, so the assumption is, and I think this is why it's really helpful to unpack it to this level, the assumption is, well, God is present in the preaching of the word. And the question is, well, how? And God is present in the, oh, forget even preaching, people love the proclamation word, it seems to be even deeper, you know. <clears throat> and God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, that's a phrase that I heard until I want to throw up. We, we, we should just, Clarify. I mean, proclamation is that special kind of preaching where you spit as well, right? It's it's the more serious level. <laughs> and you have a flappy Bible that you wave around while you speak. It can't be a hardcover. <laughs> it's, but but that's the thing, you know. So well, God inhabits the praises of His people. Music, church music, worship. All right. How? What ex what exactly is going on here? And and. I see it most markedly in prayer times within churches where I would go so far as to say it's not even happening sort of to God. It's almost happening at God. And so I like that idea of it's continually serving aces, but the crowd is not going, oh, every time it happens. It's, it's as if that's what a tennis game should be. <laughs> You just sit there and watch some guy absolutely demolish somebody else by serving, you know, a whole bunch of aces in a row. And there we go. The game is over and home we go. And I think very much the control element is there. Um, and so I admire churches that are willing to at least acknowledge that and start that conversation around. You'll hear language like, you know, how do we allow God to move, those sorts of things. And I think those are starting to point in a, in a helpful direction. But you have to understand that control element, because if God inhabits the phrase, the praises of his people, it might be because he's been bound and gagged. And, um, and that, you know, that's exactly, that's what I find very frustrating because, and you, and you see this, I see this often because I'm, I'm, I've been in church music for a lot and it's still something that I do. And you see people going, I just, I couldn't get the congregation into it this morning. And exactly what they're describing is that tennis match that you set out. And that's why I find it, it really important. That's why I asked the question, because it's easy to gloss over this and just go, oh, well, he's there. Of course he's there. And he's talking to you while the, you know, Simon is preaching or he's 
he's uh, he's speaking to you while Jennifer is singing, or he might be telling you that Jennifer shouldn't be singing. I don't know, but um, I think I think that's that's not what we're referring to. If what I understand you to be saying, and what I'm thinking as well, is that the idea of ministry time is almost where there there needs not be an intermediary. So God does not need a worship team. To, to hit the ball back. Uh, and so there is that, that first person interaction. And in fact, in many churches, my experience is that the worship team, the preacher, the person hosting the meeting, the priest or whatever, I think can actually be getting in the way of this kind of interaction that we're describing because there is already a set out liturgy or format of service or flow or whatever. And damn it, we're going to do these five songs from one to five. And, and that's it. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop singing because what good is a worship team if they stop making music? <laughs> what the hell are you idiots doing up there taking up all the space on the stage? I came here for you to hit that ball at me so I could hit it back so we could have a lovely human-to-human interaction and pretend like it's uh, it's... Oh, vertical instead of horizontal to use that picture in some ways what it does is is it encourages us to go a step further and to ask the the question on behalf of the outsider coming in and in in my mind the question then changes it's still the same question of certainty and reliability but it often changes into the recognition that this faith thing and this god thing is the emperor's new clothes in the sense that the outsider coming in going, you're expecting me to trust that there is a God that I can't see, that doesn't speak to me, that doesn't act. I'm supposed to believe this by faith, that that God is inhabiting these praises and that this preaching is is where God is and that kind of stuff. But but this is a this is people who've taken you know, that religious people take the stance that they believe in God and then God is real, right? <laughs> and, and 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 to many, and and I think to myself, uh, you know, I, I 100% acknowledge it because that's the feeling that I have, is that is that in that sense, God is like the emperor's new clothes. And 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 when you recog- when you feel like you recognize that that's the basis of what people believe on, you, what, how is God real? I know God is real because I believe that God is real. How does God speak? Well, God speaks to me through these things because I believe that God speaks to me through these things. Yes, but but what is what is what are you experiencing? Oh no, um, a job I wanted didn't pan out. Uh, a relationship that I was into ended. So that's got closing doors in one situation and opening, you know, and opening situation, uh, opening them in others, right? And I go, no, 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 no. Those are those are life events, right? <laughs> you know, and and in that sense, in that sense, faith almost becomes a creative overlay. It's it's like it's like the gloss has got a certain amount of liquid in it. We could objectively describe it as 50-50. <laughs> I can't tell which direction it's moving in as the outsider, but someone's going, no, 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 the other half, you know, is it's 50% full and the other person's going, no, it's 50% empty. You know, and 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 the objective bit between both people is there's this glass and it's got a certain amount of water in it. You know, I feel like in some ways the question of certainty and reliability, um, it needs to be asked back because the question of certainty and reliability then goes into the, are you really certain, firstly, that you are hearing God 
in and through these activities, these religious activities of going to church and being preached at and, and worshiping and praying. And the second thing is, um, are you certain that that is the way that God wants to be speaking to you? You know, and and I think almost like the, the one that I'm starting to ask people actually pushes it one step further of going, is it satisfying enough to a living and present God for you to not want a direct immediate relationship? Do you think it's satisfying for God to be friend-zoned, for God to be faith-zoned into, in, into these boxes of in worship only and preaching only, in the incidentals of life. Yeah, yeah, it's the anecdotal experience, the anecdotal voice of God. Sure, that's fantastic. I like this. I'm just picturing a whole bunch of faces <laughs> of people that I know trying to answer that question for me. Again, it's 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 the context that you're referring to that so conditions. I like that idea of the emperor's new clothes. Um, because it just absolutely excludes any other possibilities. So why do we church the way we do it? Because that's the way we've always done it. And what we mean by that is it's just a, it's a form that we've created that works to fill some needs, but actively excludes others. And especially if you look at that tennis match relational idea that you put forward, it actively excludes the other player. Uh, and there's some safety in that, and there's, um, you know, which, which is what we're getting out of the certainty, et cetera. But it's just fascinating to listen to the language and look at the practice. For people that are desperate, supposedly, language-wise, to play tennis with somebody, they really seem to enjoy standing in an empty court, hitting a ball to the other side. That's all. This is the deal here, is I'm just going to hit at you, and you can just stand there. But why the language does not match up then? I'm going to start asking people that question. You know, for a long time, I've wondered why these kinds of questions never receive a good audience for me in churches. And I want to dig in and I want to ask questions like, but what are we actually doing on a Sunday morning when we're playing music? What are we doing? What are we trying to do? What are we hoping to achieve? And I think the, the context is, is not really used, is not ready for that. Because it's it's going to ask you to look a little bit behind the a little bit behind the curtains and see what's going on behind the, the curtains of your consciousness, maybe on one level. And, and it might be incredibly scary to find that we have wasted 52 Sundays a year just going and singing songs at each other. Even if we've enjoyed them. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, you know, because that's, that's the key. That's part of the key for me to try and distinguish with people because people are actually, I think, quite fulfilled with these practices and they are actually quite fulfilled with singing songs at each other and they are quite fulfilled it would seem on the most part at being spoken at by somebody despite the fact that in no other area of their life would they pursue learning in that way they would be most frustrated if they went to a work workshop and uh, just some idiot lectured at them you know, for hours at a time, for three days, and then sent them back to their office. They would complain about it wasn't collaborative and nobody asked them their opinion and nobody interacted with them and there were no breakaway groups, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> nobody would do that in real life. And maybe even worse is they're, they're perfectly, perfectly happy with just shouting things at a ceiling and calling it prayer 
and in all three of those, and I'm, I'm just leaving the, the introductions and notices and stuff to the side because that's just that's just crazy. But they seem absolutely and perfectly fulfilled in that, and yet I think they're not because there's this constant need to look for you'll hear people especially at the moment people are constantly going on about oh, what's the next message and the next bitch preacher and the next band and the next song and the next and so for me that that just shows you that it's not actually as satisfying um i think as, as people are putting it forward and there, there must be some level of cognitive dissonance going on where people are saying that they're having a deep and intimate relationship with something but at the end of the day, they're actually feeling unsatisfied because they're only having a deep and meaningful relationship with a collection of lyrics put to music. Or somebody's very carefully or <laughs> very poorly, I've been in a number of different churches, fought together, you know, message that either, you know, they're just getting started and nine minutes in they they say amen and you wonder what the hell they bothered or they ramble on to the hostage situation for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the usual kind of thing of, of the motivational morality or the weekly motivational Jesus speak, or the, you know. <laughs> you wonder whether your teeth are sharp enough to be able to chew your own wrists open. Uh, <laughs> you just want to get the hell out of there. Um, and and there must be, there must be some cognitive dissonance in there in saying, in saying that it really is something which it isn't. I, I really struggle this like years ago when I was still a, a church man myself right <laughs> you know where when I worked part-time in a, in a church context and ran my own like venture on the side and, and stuff like that my my side venture was uh it was it was really a critique on evangelism because Christians have this big thing of like we evangelize people so in evangelism you get people to commit their life to Jesus and get baptized and say the sinner's prayer and come to church right <laughs> and I was like we're just going about all that wrong because people are not looking for a rational argument they're actually looking to experience God and so so we did this venture where we where we put the, the experience of God as front and central you know it was it was literally about what God wanted to say and do and how God wants to meet, meet the person and it had a phenomenal, like people had phenomenal encounters with God. But when they came to church, their comment would be that they want, they came to church because they wanted more of that experience that they had. They wanted more of that relational engagement. And basically over a period of time, they felt that they were worn down by the fact that, that church is not about that. Church is not about meeting with God in that immediate sense. And so they don't, they don't feel the need to be there, and and for me it was it was it was several years of of processing that as a question with others while feeling the exact same thing for myself, and because I because I I I worked professionally in in ministry, you know, with my own venture and and, and part time I was at church, but I wasn't at church, right? I, I wasn't there just as someone going, like I'm supposed to get something out of this. I was there to give, to interact, to facilitate people's engagement with God, you know, and focus really on the on the ministry time stuff. Um but but I but I really struggled with the 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 response that, that church has had. And and here I'm not I'm not talking about the church that doesn't have ministry time. I'm talking about the churches that do, whose response to individuals like that was basically calm down this church is about a lot of things primarily about the word of god 
and and we we don't chase visions, we don't chase experiences, we don't chase that kind of stuff. So so like like our spirituality and our faith is not founded on any of that. And it created this dichotomy between going, oh, this is really relevant in ministry time. It's really relevant for evangelism and converting people. But you know, um, that's really its only use. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feature in the bread and butter. It doesn't feature in the bread and butter. It's not the main events. And and that 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 was what eventually was the core of the reason why I took a break and 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 basically um left ministry stuff, you know, was because I felt like this is a particular problem. And if you've got a faith that basically goes, I believe in God, therefore God is real, and I don't need this stuff, then church can work for you. But if you don't if you don't have that, it really shouldn't work for you. Because it's 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 like being in an abusive or dysfunctional relationship. You've got to ask serious questions about why why you're there. And and I feel like in some ways, my real interest in people getting to experience God is what encourages me to ask the question from that perspective and to see church from the perspective of somebody else. But this is just the emperor's new clothes, you know. Because because I feel like I've I've been on the receiving end of that. So. <laughs> You know, so often are people going out and I go, but I don't, that's, that's not why I'm there, you know, um, and, and of really just not having a good answer as to why I was there. Now, now I don't have to answer it because I'm not there, right? <laughs> I'm kind of thinking it myself, but I'm also thinking in terms of the listener, just help to distinguish between when, when you talk about the side project and the experience of God is front and center, Right. And then what is happening in a church service as being different? Can you put some, some sort of concrete details to that for, for me, for the listener? Because I think the question that gets leveled often is, no, but we're talking about the same thing, Tim. We're doing exactly what you were doing in your evangelism product, project to get to people to church. We're also interested in people meeting with God. And you hear that language often used. But if you had to put concrete details to it, what would you say? What is the difference? What were you doing practically that was then prioritizing the presence of God? And where do you see that being different than on a Sunday morning? That's that's a very good question. I, I, I feel like in, in retrospect, one of the reasons why I, I struggled to understand the difference in the past was because it's in the context of the Vineyard Church, which which really did prioritize the ministry stuff, <laughs> you know. So so for them, that was always the thing. You, you end every service that way. So if the service is an hour, you know, there's a there's, there's a chunk at the end that that that's dedicated to that and you make time for that. All the language is about prioritizing that. And one of one of my my struggles has been to understand that and find the language for going as as much as you guys are doing that, I don't feel like it's paradigmatically redefining what you do. I feel like it's an add-on still and, and in a box. And so so back then I struggled with that for for a while. So it's easier to contrast that not with the middle ground, but with the with the extremes, right? So I feel like if you go into the 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 charismaniac box. Um, the flag wavers, the people that do those trains, you know, where everyone runs around the church like a yes, snake, yes, yes, you know. Um, the tequila Sunday, the tequila minus Sunday. the tequila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the lunatic fringe kind of thing, the, the ones where they focus on tongues and everyone is like 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 speaking some gibberish, right? When, when I'm there, I, I get the sense of 
if I'm ever in that context, it's a mayhem that I'm faced with. I don't feel like I'm face to face with with God being present there. I feel like I'm face to face with people behaving like they should, or like they believe they should on the basis that they have faith in God and that their their excess behavior is proportional to the level of faith, right? <laughs> okay. So you're saying they're, be, they're behaving in the way they think they should behave as if God was there. Yes. But they're not actually conscious of of the... There's, there's almost a, a self-deception. They're believing God into that space and then going, well, this is what we would or should be doing if God were here, but they're not actually saying God is there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I feel like there's there's a lot of hype involved and there's the steps to hype and there's people that really get off on that and, and enjoy that kind of context, you know. Do I like that context? No. Do I like a mosh pit? No. <laughs> you know, it's the same, 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 same kind of thing. You know, like, 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 just, just not my thing. It is some people's cup of tea. It's, it's, it's not mine. And I don't think it helps deconstruct. I feel like it's more noise, and the noise is front and center. The relational presence of God is, is not. And then, then when it gets to the testimony times, you, you hear similar language to what they'd use in other contexts during renewal. Of, of faith and the goodness that God has done, except there's a transition. The transition is from the language of, oh, God healed me, or God spoke to me, or God delivered me, or God did these things. But the transition is to, now God gives me the strength to endure through my suffering till I die and go to heaven. <laughs> you know, so, so, so I feel like that gets bundled together. And so they become very faith-oriented, very claim things by faith, but nothing happens. There's no there's no real world experience of, 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 of God that an outsider is going to come into and go, I've seen God. As insiders, they go away going, oh man, the fire, the glory, the this and that, right? But as an outsider, I go, no, that was that was madness. That was that was nuts. I need I I need to go and relax now. <laughs> you know. And and to belong, you have to agree to the madness. Yes. Yeah. And and I've been I've been in that situation where 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 um you know I remember um, you know, the, the, the mid-90s, uh, a, a bunch of people basically going, no, 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 you've got to do this thing of praying tongues and just say anything comes out of your mouth. And I was like, I'm not interested in that. I want to see people healed and I want more dreams about the future. And uh, and they're like, oh, you're weird. Like, we don't like you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's fine. You know, push me over, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> you know, like, 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 like I, I had a practice clear, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you don't. Tell you don't that guy me. not to come and kneel down behind my knees. I'm not going over. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'll drop kick you in the nuts so hard. <laughs> so, so, so that's, that's, that's the one thing. So, and, and if we take that and we put that out of the box and we go the more the mainstream, is is you arrive, you do your worship, it's okay. Someone preaches, they're okay. <laughs> Take the middle ground. It isn't hyped, it isn't manipulative. Um, it's motivational, it's encouraging. It's like it's it's the you know, like often it's the we suck so hard, we fail, but Jesus really is there to forgive us and give us the strength to endure. So he's gonna give you that strength and then we can come back for your top up next week, kind of thing. You know, like yeah, like that's yeah, a, a, a proper biblical gospel proper, message. Proper, exactly. 
exactly. So they said, and, and when you're there in that context, like let's take a look at the dynamics you arrived, you sing some songs, you know, perhaps you're on those those uh, um, those pews or perhaps you're in chairs and the stand sits, you know, perhaps there's good coffee, perhaps the guy speaks is really nice, but they finished speaking and now what? I'm going to have some coffee with people, maybe do lunch with some people, maybe just go home. And I just think like, <laughs> why would I spend that hour or two there? Like, what was the point? I mean, the people could be nice, but you know, there's nice people everywhere, you know, and there's some people that I really just enjoy more than others, and they're often not those people, <laughs> you know, so so why should I be there? And so when I look at that, I go, mm, no, nah, I mean, you know, what, what's the value? The value is the community, the value is the, you know, I don't know, a, a whole bunch of stuff, but it's pretty vanilla and pretty bland. I, but as the outsider, again, you've you got to go, they do these cool stuff, but I mean, you could do anything, you know, um, if I swap out Jesus for Father Christmas, I accomplish the same thing. If I swap out Jesus stories for Grimm's fairy tales, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still telling good stuff, right? <laughs> I, could I could do the same thing. I, I could just change the, the, the religious symbols, the language, or the text that's used, right? So there's, there's that, okay. And then you go to these, these more renewally kind of contexts where they go, no, no, we really believe and we really do this stuff. And I, I, think, I think here it becomes a bit hard because they both do and they don't. So they do, but it's boxed. It, they do, but it's it's neutered, um, and so that neutered, neutered, yeah, neutered. <laughs> so so it's tamed, you know. So so basically, someone will preach, you know, they'll worship. Usually, they love their worship. And if you ask anyone there, where did you really experience God? They're going to go in the worship, and you're going to go, okay, cool, you know, like whatever. Then someone's going to preach, and you go, okay, that's cool. <laughs> And then, and then they'll transition to ministry time, which is usually, you know, which is different. During the renewal, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone in their seats that didn't participate. Post renewal, you'd, you're hard pressed to find more than the handful up front, right? <laughs> and now it's like now it feels like we we're still doing something because we faithful, we believe in this stuff. But what are we really doing, you know? Um, so, so and there there will be some of that component. But it's not definitive. So the outsider going in can look at that from afar and go, oh, I don't know if I trust that or I believe that. Or they do that weird in that box, but it's not for me. You know, I, I'm here for the service, you know, and I enjoy the service and I'm out, you know, whatever. So in that context, it's it again, it's 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 not the main show, it's not the main event. It's not like the preacher is is the opening band before the big band, right? You know, it's not like the arbitrary unknown band opening for you too, right? The the fluffer band. So 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 yeah, it's like arriving at, and all you've got is the fluffer band, is is what I feel like in that context. And then and then you go away. And and so where I felt like what I was doing was was different was it was it was in the context of a of a holistic fair where people are where people arrived and it was holistic stuff. So, you know, normal kind of fair stuff. You go, you buy clothing or food or, or whatever. But they had this holistic element that also meant that people would do massage, go for massages or go for Reiki or go see your tarot card reader <laughs> and, and pay them and they're going to do a reading for you or the psychic or the medium. And I, I, I looked at that context and everyone was like, oh, new ages. Oh, God, such horrible demonic world plays. You know, and like from that attitude, like, like come on, Christians, like crap. Like, you know, oh, my goodness, you go there, Satan's going to get you. And I was just like, you guys are, you guys are getting this wrong. Here are people that, that because of vanilla is Christianity, have given up on Christianity because they're not experiencing God. 
And they, they're brave enough to basically go, it's going to cost me. I'm going to pay someone because I need spiritual guidance. I need to hear from a higher power. And so they'd pay a tarot card reader or a psychic or a medium to do a reading on them. And I felt in that context, the way I understood it is, is you will have an emotional experience on the basis of whatever's being read to you, but you're not the person that's primarily having the experience the psychic or the medium is, and you, you receive their gifts. And so, so that's that was the dynamics as I as I as I observed them, and that was that, that was cool. I wasn't there to 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 really do the same. And so, so I, I had a stall, and I always had someone with me that was learning the stuff or had become better at the stuff than I was, <laughs> and that I could take a break, <laughs> and they could teach someone else. And and all we did was uh, was people would come in and go, "What do you guys do?" I'd explain what we did, and what I explained was. You know, we're not here to experience anything. We're not here to pass anything on. We're here to simply hear what God wants to say and then make space for you to experience God and and we'll support that. And that was the primary event. One of the stories that's published, I had a, a, a back then a good friend of mine, Wayne, as a, as a, as a co-host at that. And this guy came in but the typical kind of thing sitting down, what do you guys do? What's going on? Yeah, yeah I do a reading from you, whatever. And I, I turned to Wayne because I'm not hearing anything and I, I think he is. I, I feel like that's what I'm seeing. So I say, what you got? And and Wayne's response is, I see a, a house with five rooms. Here's what's going on in each room. And this person's like, wow, no one has ever seen this as accurately. I have a house with five rooms. Yeah, and those are each of the rooms, right? <laughs> you know, so, so in that context, it's a clear message. And in that sense, it's no different to any other psychical medium. But where the dynamic, dynamic changed for, for me, and that's the deliberate part of it, and you see it in the context of the new movement and that kind of stuff as well, is the invitation of saying to the person, well, I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's invite God to come and see what God wants to say and do. And it's for you to experience God. And they would. And they literally experienced the, the, the tangible presence of God, God present to them. And often people have their own visions. As, you know, people would get healed, like different things. But it, it, it's not in the context of a church. They haven't been fluffed with worship or the preaching or the expectation or anything like that. And, and we haven't given any preamble but how we define what we do there. And then it's a question of like, you either hear or you don't. And you're right or you're wrong. Right. And, and even with some, I, I remember the one guy had come in and he and I just didn't see eye to eye. You know, you know, you know, these people you instantly clash with. <laughs> and this I, I instantly clashed with this person. And then um and then I was like, well, shall we see what God was to say or do? And he was like, Yeah, cool, let's do that. And we stood. And I had this experience of of of, <laughs> of uh, God directing me, and the guy got healed. Right? <laughs> it was like it was an incredible it was an incredible experience for for me because because the rapport makes it safer, and yet was this clash, and yet yes, you got to do something that that God did. Like I can't claim to have healed someone because I didn't. God did. You know, and I saw it happen. I was a, I was the first in line as a bystander. It was incredible. You know, so 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 then that kind of stuff is is very definitive for. Person, now you've got a picture of a person coming from that environment, going to a church, and going, I've been introduced to someone and I want more of this. And they basically get told, No, we don't do this yet. And I think, I think for me, that's the difference. And, and, and almost of wanting to go, We need to redefine this thing completely from the ground up because we ostensibly are gathering to meet with God, but we're not. That's not what we're doing. If you put pen to paper, and you take a look at what we are doing, we don't do that. We hardly do that at all.
and hardly any churches do that. So, so to clarify, and I just I'm, I'm wanting to make this a hundred percent clear for for listeners. You you did not let me just get my words in order. You did not front load the experience for the person in terms of this is what you can expect. You might feel hot or cold, or your hands will get sweaty, or you know your eyebrows will start to quiver. There was no teaching component. God is like this. This is God's nature. This is where you, you know, these are the texts that you can go to to learn more about God, et cetera, et cetera. This is what I'm hearing you saying. So just jump in at any point if I'm missing it. And then there was no back end to that in terms of, yeah, you kind of heard God, but you should have heard more of this. Or, yeah, that that's sort of there, but I just want to just reorientate you because you've got your theology wrong in terms of what God told you or told you to do. Or, And so you're specifically saying that as little intermediary as possible. So so it was the it was the so the only thing I explained was the was the model is that there's a difference between and it's language I've used earlier in the podcast. There's a difference between open clo- channeling and closed channeling. Um, and and there's a difference between, in most situations, the spiritual professional is the person who has the experience and they pass on what they get to you. So that's 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 how people do things. How, how we differ here is we're going to stand together. Um, so I'm going to invite you to stand and let's together just invite God to come and see what God wants to say and do. And there's nothing specific that I'm looking for. I'm not going to try and make anything happen. Um, we're just going to wait on You're God. You're not going to correct me. Yeah. So so it, it's not like I, I'm not... reason or at all? No, not at all. I'm, I'm not there to challenge what you think. I'm not there to challenge what you what you what you say or anything like that. We're going to invite God to come and see what God wants to say and do. And that was it. And and often things would be triangulated. One person would have an image or the start of an image and they'd share that, you know, and, and so I developed a lot of my language around around the 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 interpersonal dynamics of, of being in that situation and and being the person that hears or sees God say something. So 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 for instance if I'm in, in that situation and someone's gone and and already, you know, so take that one example. So Wayne had already given the story of yes the house with the ribs, right? So that's already a starting point. So it's a question of going, let's 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 stand, let's invite God to come and see what God wants to do with that. So there's there's these rooms, let's let's see. So 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 that kind of stuff would always be a start because God had already been saying and doing stuff, right? So all we're doing is we continue with what God is saying and doing. And so uh, but but no, we never we never um the, the the goal was not to have a rational discussion with someone and try to convince them of anything. It was simply to to say that the service that we offer is, is literally this. We invite God together with you because we really want to see what God wants to say to you with you. And that's it. And I think there's very little room to hide in terms of the differences there between what you were attempting to do and what majority of church looks like. And so definitely from my experience and then also just from what I observe and read and see, I think it would be very peculiar for a Christian community to behave in that way on a Sunday morning, specifically around the idea of the certainty and this faith, etc. 
it's very peculiar, I think, especially if you're coming up against the, you know, the more sage members of those communities, the people with titles or dresses, you know, um, uh, the people who've got certain things that they have to wear and that sort of stuff. That if you said, oh, I feel while we were praying, God told me, you know, I should go home and burn my Ferrari, you know, they would probably want to dig into that with you um, and start to correct you. Or, no, we're not entirely sure God would say that. And, well, let's actually, let's go to the Bible or let's go to our tradition, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's, there's really is uh, the reason I wanted to just unpack it because I think that these are often where I find the arguments come. No, but we do that. No, but you really don't. <laughs> no, but we do. We pray with people and God speaks all the time. Really? How? Well, I'll, you know, I'll get a picture for somebody and I'll share it with them. And yeah, but take me through how does that, well, exactly. How does it develop? And people often come back to, yeah, but, you know, we're going to wait for somebody to give us a scripture confirmation of this vision, for example. Or we're going to wait for somebody to give us a scripture confirmation of your dream. Or we have to take your dream and we have to push it into our language of scripture. Or we've got to, you know, or your prayers. And oh, this drives me up the wall. You know, when you pray, you should use scripture as prayer because that's the most powerful, et cetera, et cetera. And, and <laughs> it's again, got the you know, words. <laughs> well, exactly. It's, it's not diluted prayer juice. It's like straight from the source prayer juice. But all of that is trying to condition people into uh, behaving in such a way and i think the idea is that the the conditioning to behave in such a way is then to condition the response from the other side and i would go even further than to say that in fact most of the time it's to make sure that there isn't a response from the other side i'm not certain that this is conscious and it's one of the reasons that i've been i wanted to just tease it out further with you because i found when i argue with people they're not actually aware that they're trapped in this thing of I actually need to push you to tell me God told you what I'm comfortable with God telling you, or I understand from this book or my church tradition or the way we do church on a Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what we're saying on a Sunday is so rare is for just to say, God, well, you, you do this and I'm not going to tell you that I know better. I don't want to be too critical of, of, of well-meaning groups, even though do you want to be critical in my thinking? You know, in the, in the healthy critical thinking, it's not to criticize, it's to, it's to dissect and understand. You know, and so when I think of, of things like Vineyard and other renewal movements in history, I think that they all, they all come to a halt for similar reasons. And, and there's like, you know, we, we, we can do a whole long talk about that in, in, in future. But, but I feel like, like part of the problem is, is, this, this, is this dynamic of, so when does this experience take place? It only takes place in the context of the Sunday as a small group. And there's someone who's especially gifted and been given the license, is approved of in that context to facilitate this kind of stuff, right? And, and they're under supervision. And, you know, it's not the primary thing because, you know, the preaching must always be the primary thing, right? This experience stuff must always be secondary because, you know, experience can knock your faith and experience, you know, you know, experience is always subject to faith and it's not based on feelings, right? Blah, blah. So that language, I feel like all, all cuts against it in that sense. And so, so the individual is coming in and is going, I really want to build a relational experience with God is basically being taught that 
you can have it in this box only, but we can't teach you how to make this a real vibrant part of the rest of your spirituality. If if you're wanting more of the intimacy with God, the way you do that is by doing this stuff where you're supposed to hear from visions and see people healed and, and this kind of stuff. It fits into this box. It doesn't fit into the relational box of intimacy. And I feel like in some ways the the, the challenge and and I, I guess I, I guess I you know if any of the listeners are, are people that that come from that background of, of renewal and you look back and you go I really experienced incredible encounters with God and I missed them. It's interesting that renewal movements haven't helped you build on that, have they? Because that is the case for most people. And I I feel like like whenever I've tried to reboot a community or start a new group and that, it quickly gets back into those dynamics. And I've, I've been fortunate over the years that whenever I've done that, I could, I could drop the group. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I, it's not like I'm employed as their, their past and paid to do that for them and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I don't have to do that. But whenever gathering that groups, I find they quickly get into that box. And I think it's, again, if you've got people that aren't schooled in this kind of stuff and they want to do the spiritual stuff, what are they going to do? They're going to get to do it in the way they know it. You know, so what's it going to be? Well, let's do worship. Let's do preaching. If you do it in, in groups that are used to the renewal stuff, what are they going to do? Well, we're going to do the worship and the preaching, and then we're going to do the ministry stuff. And, you know, like we're not really going to, we can't get into the ministry stuff. We've got to do this other stuff as well. And I kind of go, no, go vanilla, strip the stuff away and just, just do that. And they, people struggle. People really struggle around that because they don't know how to just do that. And they don't know how to just do that because, because the message sets the context, Right. <laughs> But if you take that away, and it creates the expectation, but you take that away, then what do you have? You've got something that's much more raw, you know. Um, and so, so I feel like part of the challenge is to is to help people build from the ground up from the other direction. That the road the road in is from the position of hearing, rather than the road in is from having the community that is all together uncertain you know it's like having it's <laughs> it's like throwing a new design tent <laughs> into a group of people you've got 10 people and you go guys build a tent there's no instructions for it you don't know how it fits together you know some groups are going to get together and do it wonderfully and other groups are just they, they're always going to struggle with it and i feel like throwing this out to groups is often is often like that you know, you, you're left with a group of people standing going, we're all unsure of what to do or how this is supposed to play out. We don't know what we're looking for or expecting. But we don't want to be like those crazies. <laughs> so so you always got this thing of going, I don't know what to expect, but I very much know what I don't want to happen. And and so that's not a, a space of openness, trust, and exploration. You know, and, and I can't picture... Um, someone with feelings that wants to participate in that group like having a great time doing that and by that someone i mean god right because you're the unwelcome guest that don't you you know come in but don't touch the furniture don't exactly you can speak when you're spoken to but probably not and you can speak in this box you know and so and so i feel like in some ways this 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 language of certainty uncertainty of how can we trust how do you know that's really God speaking to you? You can only ask the how do you how can you really know it's God speaking to you 
if you are unsure and you don't know yourself. So what you're doing is you're projecting onto others. And often that's the case. Church is going, we don't want to do this because how can we trust our home group leaders or our secondary leaders or our elders or our preacher to be doing it? How can we trust that they're hearing from God? You know, because our only reference are these cults and these crazies. <laughs> you know, we, we don't have the good stuff, you know. Looking back in history, there's tons of it. Looking to the present, it's quite rare. And it's a rare gem. And unfortunately, those that are really into this stuff feel like, no, 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 we, we, we've carved out such a wonderful church. And I go, yes, but when you retire in two years' time, it's going to be back to business as usual, right? <laughs> it's entirely dependent on the model of leadership that you have. It's entirely dependent on the leader that you have. So you haven't changed the culture. You haven't changed the paradigm. And I feel like that's that's the challenge, is, is, is in that difference between the first order and second order change, changing out your minister, or your leader, or your pastor, your, your religious community facilitator, whatever, you know, <laughs> you, you, know, you, you, you know, changing them out is going to be a, bring a big difference to the community for as long as they're there. You take them out when you have, <laughs> you know, and if you take them out and you don't have that, you haven't changed that culture. Yeah. And, and I think that's 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 the deconstruction that I was getting to is of, of almost years ago getting to this place of going, I see so many people coming in and I just can't see them come in and leave them being disappointed anymore. So I'm going to stop doing the bringing them in bits because I, I don't want to see them twice as closed walking away from what I've involved in bringing to their life, you know. Um, and And that's, yeah. It's hard. Whereas for me, it's the flip side. I I I stand on the other side. I go, how can you not know? How can you not trust? You know. <laughs> you know. And I think that's a really good flip side, because it doesn't just ask the question from the one perspective around the negative, but it actually sets it up in terms of the positive. Uh, I, I'm 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 aware that again, this has been a good long conversation, <laughs> um, and that in terms of the listeners' time, it's a it's a it's a good it's a good time to. Like, 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 call it here. But um, my my ending caveat is <laughs> along the lines of basically going. I I feel like this conversation wraps up season one for me of of the urban mystic. You know, between you and I, we 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 had a conversation last week, and we'll have one next week, and that will all go towards season two. But in terms of the episodes, there's going to be a, a two or three week episode break between season one and two from the listener's perspective. Because I, I feel like like moving forward, I want to put a little bit more time into the into the editing and the um, you know the the direction of the episodes and that kind of stuff for season two. Um, and yeah, I, I think just between you and I, you know, I I have a newfound respect for radio show hosts and talk show hosts. <laughs> this has been such a learning experience. Like like to do these conversations and, you know, do them in a way that's, that's meaningful for a third party. Ditto, yeah, absolutely. But it's been fun. It's been fun exploring that and learning as I go. You're going to do a teaser trailer for season two and you're going to leave the listener on the edge of their seat. I'm going to stop using listener in the sing singular. I'm going to start using it in the plural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm starting to dive down a rabbit hole, and I'd like to share some of that journey with the listener. You know, I, I feel like in 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 many ways this is a deconstruction, and 
as a series of conversations that are deconstructive is, is almost around how religions are wrestling with the way the world is changing and the loss of the centrality of religion in society. Um, and I think that's a particular like series of conversations that is important. But but I feel like there's there's another conversation, and that's the conversation for people on the other side. The person whose point of departure is that central, secularized Western point of departure, the, the person to whom the question of God returns after they've given up on religion and given up on the idea of God. And and I feel like like I I want to to give some shape and definition to that as as, as language and and for you and I to have some conversations around that. And, you know, so that it's not just the deconstructive box, that, but that it's the constructive box of going, you know, yes, we can build a practice of pursuing the transcendent. We can build a practice of the inner life. You know, we can build this inward, outward practice and journey. You know, and what is that? What shape does it take? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm keen to head in that direction, if that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that too. I think we've done a good deal of deconstruction and walked that path quite thoroughly. Um, even though there, I know there have been a number of rapid trails we could have disappeared off on as we go. Um, and I'm looking forward to the question of what's next and what can be built in the space of, uh, you know, once the rubble has been cleared. <laughs> <laughs>